everyone and welcome to 101 George Street, the podcast from Mowbray, Scotland's National Centre for Children's Literature and Storytelling. This podcast aims to explore the worlds of children's literature, storytelling and creative learning. My name is John Malloy and each week we will be inviting guests onto the show to discuss these areas and hopefully entertain and inform you all at home. My guest this week is Heather Kate Malloy. Heather is an author based in Southwest Scotland. She is an inclusive storyteller and art practitioner. And in 2019, her book, The Creatures That Live in the Forest Behind My House, was published by Aton Publishing. Hello, Heather. Thank you for coming on to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. How long have you been in South West Scotland? I've been living here now for just over three years. Before I came to Dumfries and Galloway, I lived in a town called Duisburg, which is in uh, Germany. All right, and what brought you from Duisburg to Dumfries and Galloway? Uh, well, I'm, I've always loved Dumfries and Galloway. I've been coming on holiday here uh, with my parents since I was about four years old. I decided... Um, that it was time to, to move on from Germany um, to the next sort of adventure. And this just seemed like the perfect place that I was destined to come to. That's interesting for you to say that adventure. I've been reading your um, your book, The Creatures That Live in the Forest Behind My House. And uh, quite a few of the characters in your book uh, have adventures. Is there something about Dumfries and Galloway that has inspired you or inspired you in terms of how you approach your work? I suppose when I moved to Dumfries and Galloway, it was to move away from the career that I was in, which was teaching. I still do some elements of sort of teaching now, but I, I got to take the opportunity to do a bit more writing and work creatively because Dumfries and Galloway is a really great region for supporting writers and artists so it, it was the next adventure it was the adventure that made allowed me to kind of follow my dreams I have a lot of memories of coming on holiday to Dumfries and Galloway being a little girl going to lots of different places playing in adventure playgrounds going to the beach walking through the forests very local places some of these places where I have a lot of these memories where I have felt inspired and where I drew a lot of the inspiration for the book and, and the, the kind of ideas that came to, to life from being a little girl, you know, walking through the woods and imagining creatures coming to life. And Are we to, to think that these woods are real or are they are uh, based in Dumfries and Galloway? They are real, they're very real. Um, Dalbiti uh, Forest, a place where I work, work all the time at the moment now in lockdown, every day I'm in the forest. Every time I walked through the forest, I'd get a different idea for a character. There were set themes and ideas for stories that I already had things that I wanted to write about because the book is very much about accepting difference and about the importance of kindness. And I really wanted that to be the main, one of the main focuses of the different stories and poems of the book. But the actual characters themselves, those creatures... Um, they were all very much inspired from walking in different areas of the forest behind my house. So you say that the, the location, the environment, the region itself informs uh, your writing, informs your imagination? Uh, well, it certainly inspires me. I, I'm someone who, be- who believes that narrative can be found absolutely anywhere. Anything can be inspiring to you, no matter what sort of 
writer you are. Lots of different things inspire me, give me ideas for stories. You know, sometimes it is walking in the countryside, but sometimes it can be as something as simple as sitting in a bubble bath and relaxing, just be lying in bed just before falling asleep. Sometimes ideas just come from being completely relaxed and just come from that. So there are lots of different things, I think, that inspire and, and inform my writing from in the countryside to basic everyday things because, yeah, like narrative is everywhere. Do you walk around with a notebook and you get an idea and you think, right, I need to write that down <laughs> I, I probably should uh, and in some case sometimes I do have a notepad on me and in those times it's great um, but uh, I don't always uh, but I'm very blessed that I have quite a good memory so I, I, I remember a lot of things I am one of these people who should definitely keep a diary of some sort next to my bed because I do get a lot of ideas when I'm trying to fall asleep and then fall asleep and wake up in the morning and go oh I had a really good idea what was it um, I mentioned that you were uh, an inclusive storyteller and I think a few people listening at home might be interested in this idea of, of, of being an inclusive, particularly an inclusive storytelling. So um, could you explain what, what it is to be an inclusive storyteller? For me, being an inclusive storyteller means finding um, how to make your work as accessible to as many different people as possible. Uh, without going into too much detail, there are lots of different reasons why people might not be able to access uh, your work through sitting down, reading the words on the page. So it's all about how you communicate with those people and how you can make it as accessible to them as possible. One of the ways I do that is through something called multisensory storytelling. And that's really something that I've only been practicing for just over a year now from uh, working with this fantastic organisation called PAMIS and uh, one of their storytellers, Maureen, learning about how you take a story, you break it down into sort of its separate parts and then each part has, or each sentence, has a different multisensory prop and lots of people can benefit from multisensory stories for example, um, I work with people with very profound and multiple learning disabilities mm. uh, using the props, um, the very different sensory props to help bring the story to life and help them experience it on a very personal level. That's really important. Uh, another thing that I'm exploring and have been exploring now for almost two years, actually, it's, it's taken quite a long time to put it together, is to make the book accessible to people who are hard of hearing by putting British Sign Language within mm. the book. The idea being that someone could scan barcode on the page and on their phone it would pop up with someone who would be signing the words. Um, it's something that I'm really passionately trying yeah. to forward. Um, but that, but that, they're just two examples of, of how you could be inclusive in your storytelling. But overall, the, the, the message, I suppose, is about communicating and finding those different ways of making things accessible to everyone. Now, uh, that's really interesting, actually, because I know you have a background in the performing arts. And right. um, I, I'm just wondering whether or not your background in the performing arts has helped you when, when it comes to being a storyteller. Not just a, 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 I hate to say, regular storyteller, but a storyteller that specialises in multisensory storytelling or inclusive storytelling. Uh, it definitely helps, um, you know, having the skills from doing acting and creating characters and voices and projection and, and all those sort of things and having that sort of 
you know, when you when you're an actor or a performer and you go for parts and you don't always get them, you build that sort of resilience. And I suppose yes, that is all very transferable. I, I use that um, with the multisensory storytelling, but it is, it's 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 a completely different way of performing and of telling a story. So there's a, there's a lot to it. Knowledge of things like sensory integration and the way. As, as, as people, we uh, our senses develop and things mm. like that, that you can learn, that can help you to appreciate how o- other people experience the, um, smell, taste, whatever it is, and then looking at how you can build that into a story. So there's a great deal that goes into multisensory storytelling beyond just creating a few props because it, it's something that might appear in the story. So it's, it's not like theatre in that sense. So yes, sorry, I'm being quite contrary. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm contradicting myself a bit here. But yes, um, it does. It, it is transferable skills because you perform, you're confident and you've got those skills. But multisensory storytelling is something that is quite specialist and there is a lot that goes into it. So I wouldn't want to say it, it was just something that anybody who had done performing arts previously mm. would be able to just, you know, do really simply. It's something that you can definitely learn. But yeah, there's, there's quite a bit that underpins it. Right, okay, that's interesting. For the people that are listening at home, I'm just wondering whether or not you can help help them visualise and me actually visualise what a multi-sensory story looks like in terms of the performance. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to perform today. Um, but I'm just wondering how, how it might differ with a, a regular reading of a story or a regular performance of a story by a, a live story, storyteller. What does one look like? Sure, yeah. Um, a, a multi-sensory story comes in, in in lots of different forms and there are lots of ways of doing it, but a very, very basic description. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll give you an example of one that I have done from, from the yeah. book. Um, so I have a story called Lily, the Little Lost Unicorn, uh, which is about a unicorn who runs away from a mother into the forest and gets lost, but meets some friends who help her get back along the way. Um, so I did I, I sort of shorten that right down, and then I have things like I have a um, a hand powered fan that blows air onto the faces. So when she's galloping through the forest, you can feel the breeze of that's blowing through the mane of the unicorn onto the audience's faces. On, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, onto the person's face. Um, I have like a little jug that you would not a jug a, a spray that you would put water in you know, when you spray your plants in the house your house plants I have one of those so when her brother is splashing her with water out of the lake and it's driving her mad I spray that kind of over the audience and, right. they, and they can feel the water and so there's touch there there is um, things to smell so there, there are lots of different props that are in there um, and there are different ways of telling multi-sensory stories so you could have a group where you're performing it and then you would perform it with those props the way you practiced it. But you can also do multi-sensory storytelling on a much smaller, much more one-to-one basis where you can actually find out about that person, about what they like, what their sensory likes are, what their sensory dislikes are, and you can tailor your props to that person because you know there might be something that I have in that story that that individual really wouldn't like. So in in a way, you it can be as as open as broad as 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 you want it to be. But if you really want it to be quite an intimate experience, one on one with with a very select group of um, audience, or even in, with one individual audience member, you could do that. I can imagine that being quite a powerful visceral visceral experience it, for them. It, I mean, it is it is it is intimate, and it and it and it's a joy, and it's a privilege to be able to do that. But it when you perform a multi sensory story to it, that was to kind of to a group 
and that could be anybody if I was um, telling a multi-sensory story and working doing that with a, a group of people with very profound and multiple learning disabilities then you kind of pass that one one-on-one -on -one. so you would you go very you go closer to that person if it was the unicorn teddy for example you know I'll hold it and then they'll hold it and then pass it back and then it goes to the next person so although there may be something like 10 sentences to the whole story and you might think you know uh, someone else might just look at that and go well, that's going to be over really quickly it actually is a, is a lot longer because you know you're going from one person to another person you can have various and you know various different other things around in the space to as well to heighten things like bits of music or lighting or whatever it might be um it's 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 such a huge topic and it's it's so hard to explain it in <laughs> in a in a in a simplistic in a, in a general it's it's very hard to to do that yeah. um <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just i'm fascinated with the idea of uh, multi-sensory stories um and i'm just wondering um if you where would you go? Where would you go to see this kind of thing? I mean, where have where have you performed um, in previously? Well, I um, am very lucky actually that I have been working the last year with uh, this fabulous group called the Arts End of Somewhere. And, Sorry, uh, the arts end of somewhere. The arts end of somewhere. Right, that, that's yeah. a, an interesting pun. Ah, thank you. Yes. Yeah, they, <laughs> they came up with it, and uh, they're fabulous. They're a Dumfries-based group of storytellers who. Um, who basically have learned how to research, write, create. So, um, you know, rather than just talk about me and my experiences of multisensory storytelling, it's it's nice to talk about the, these guys because they're fab. They've performed at Wigtown Book Festival. They've performed at Ella, Robert Burns' Ellisland Farm. A couple of them went up to Dundee to Pamis's Burns Supper this year and performed one of their stories there. And they're, they're absolutely fabulous. And what was that experience like going up to Dundee? Oh, it's brilliant! It, I mean, it was it was great, and um, and the and the two storytellers who I went up with, like, they really enjoyed going there. Mm. You know, um, traveling somewhere away from home and getting to share their story. And uh, that particular story was about Ellisland Farm because it was all about Robert Burns and it was for Burns Supper. So, you know, some of the group visited the farm. They found out a little bit about Robert Burns's life, um, and then chose which parts that they'd learned they wanted to put in a story. And then they created the various different props and some props were bought or donated and some of the props they made themselves. And then they, they, they launched it at Ellisland Farm and then performed it again in, at the Burn Supper in Dundee. It sounds fantastic. I can't sorry. remember your original question, John. I'm really sorry. I just started getting excited talking nope, about the group. And that's fine. That's, abso that's absolutely fine. We want conversation here. We want conversation on one on one George Street. Um, so you're, you're a storyteller, you're an inclusive, multi sensory storyteller. You're also um, a children's author. Um, we're going to have quite a, a few people listening um, who either want to be. Um, to be writers and then want to know how to how to get into the writing world as it were or, or even just just how to tackle the you know the terror of the blank page how to start writing i'm quite interested to know how how you go about doing that how did you go about kind of going from nothing as it were to i've, I've completed a, a story well each each writer has their own system and their and their own way of, of doing things definitely for me i've always written uh, since i was a little girl it's all i wanted to do was write um, write stories write poems i've always written so I have notepad upon notepad full of handwritten poems and stories I have USB sticks full of different stories so I've always I've always had that I, I love to read and and I love children's literature 
you know, I read more children's literature than anything else and I absolutely adore it. And it's fantastic because you learn so much from other writers about their styles and the way they develop their characters and the narrative and that sort of thing. So that's been a great help. What kind of children's literature um, do you read or, or did you read? Uh, lots and lots of different things. I love everything. I love, uh, I love silliness. Yeah. I love fantasy there uh, favourite book favourite book <laughs> let's, let's just go let's go simple favourite book oh goodness me oh that's tough um, can <laughs> I give you a top three um, yes you can I'll allow it <laughs> thank you oh it's tricky my okay okay number, number, number one number one okay Oh right, number one. It's 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 a hard it's hard. This it's really hard doing this to me. Okay, I would say is Danny Champion of the World by Roald Dahl. Fantastic, awesome book. Um, I absolutely love that book. It's I love Roald Dahl. I love all Roald Dahl. I love the, the way he, he created words, the silliness, but also the seriousness behind some of his messages in his books, the characters. Oh, it's, uh, and that's a wonderful book. Mm. So yes, okay. I won't go on too much about Roald Dahl because I could talk about him all day. My next one is probably The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe by by, C.S. Lewis. Lewis. I've loved that since I was a little girl. I have often tried to find Narnia. I've been yet unsuccessful. Uh, But I will keep on looking. (laughs) So yes, I I love all the books in in that series, but Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe is very close to my heart. And I would say my other favourite children's but, oh, I don't want to pick it. I'm going to leave it at those two, actually, because otherwise I'm going to end up going to five and I'll get to go to ten. Um, to go back to your original question, so the reading has has definitely influenced mm. me. Actually, how I came about writing the book, um, I, I had these ideas of things I wanted to write about. I walked in the woods and I got inspiration for these particular characters. The first poem, actually, in the book is called Grub Trunk. And I had this character in this story in my head for quite a long time, but I hadn't actually sat down to write it. And I am quite lucky that when I do sit down to write, the words do flow. I'm very lucky like that. Um, I just kind of let my imagination kind of go crazy and I was sat on a train going from Dumfries to Newcastle I was going for some training actually and I sat with um, a notepad and I just wrote it and I just wrote and wrote and uh, and it and and drafted it a couple of times once I finished it but it was just it just suddenly like I'd waited for a few weeks yeah. with this character in my head and, and and hadn't really thought too much about it and then suddenly that the first few lines came and once I started I couldn't stop and and it was there and it was and it, and it was is that is that the thing is though I've I've tried writing a few times in the past I've tried mm-hmm. to, to to write various things like scripts and I've tried to write stories and I've I've never actually gotten beyond the first couple of sentences because I, it, it, I just hit a blank. And whenever writers would say to me, you know, I just sat there, had a cup of tea, and then and then just just wrote a page or wrote a chapter, I always used to be a bit envious and think, not just envious, but I used to doubt that that actually did happen. So are you saying that it did happen on a train to, to Newcastle? It did, it did. <laughs> and I, I am very fortunate, but like everybody, I have those moments where, I, you know, I get a block and I can't quite think of what I want to write. Um, I think, and there are many, many writers mm. and many people, yeah, who do write poetry or scripts or whatever it might be, who who do they have ideas and they sit and they plan and they're fantastic writers. And that's a you know another really great way of doing it is sitting down, 
you know, coming up with your characters, your plot, and planning it before you write it. And that is a fantastic way of doing it. And lots of people do it like that. And a lot of people have to... Some people... Um, go right I'm going to write a thousand words a day I will yeah. do my thousand words and that's it some people are very lucky and they have uh, sheds or places in the bottom of their garden and they go and they work in their shed like it's an office and they work regular hours and they go and when they're in there they're writing that's it and and that's another perfectly reasonable Roald Dahl, way of doing that, it that, that Roald Dahl used to that used to be Roald Dahl's process he used to, oh. he used to sort of live in I do working for Mowbray Scotland's National Centre for Children's Literature and Storytelling I do know there are a few lots, things lots, yeah he, he did and lots <laughs> lots of authors do that but I um, but I work I work full time and especially when I was t- uh, teaching because that's what I did before I, I moved over here I uh, I didn't have the time to do that and I found that if I sat and I got went I will write a thousand words a day that's putting an awful lot of pressure on yourself mm. whereas I just I write when I suddenly feel inspired or I feel happy and I just want to write I'll sit and I'll do it and I am I'm very lucky that the words will will just come. What I would say to any aspiring writers is to find a way that works for you and don't doubt yourself that you are some for some reason doing anything wrong because you're not planning it this way or you're not just sitting there and the words are just coming. That doesn't mean that you're not a writer. Um, that there aren't any set rules to it, mm. really. You have to find a way that works for you. What I would say is to is something that I actually said earlier, which was about narrative being all around us. Everything that you do from getting up in the morning, brushing your teeth, to when you go to bed, there are so many things that you do in a day, mm. so many things that you hear and that you see or you smell. You know, there is so much narrative there and pick up on all of those different things and and, and see that, you know, you could create a story out of, out of so many different things and... And if you are struggling, writing prompts are, are fantastic things, you know. Mm. So if you're ever at a point where you think, right, I want to write, but I'm not quite ready to write that. Yeah, that's the idea, but I just want something, I don't know, to get the creative juices flowing. You know, give yourself a writing prompt. Think, right, I'm going to write an imaginative, imaginative story about how, about what I've done with my day. Or I'm going to write about an adventure in the supermarket because I went to the supermarket today. Mm. Or whatever it might be. You know, try little writing prompts and things like that. But just... Don't put too much pressure on yourself. I'm extremely lucky that I've I've I had this book published last year and that I'm getting to write and tell stories and I'm thirty three and I know that there are a lot of young children's authors out there, but there are an awful lot of people who, who don't achieve this until much later on in life and that's okay too. You know, don't be in a rush, just Find the right way that works for you and just do things in your own time. And most most importantly, actually, is enjoy it. Enjoy what you're writing and enjoy doing it. Don't let it become a point where you're not in love with words and stories anymore. Heather, that's fantastic. I think we'll leave it there for today. Just come to the end of this programme. But I think certainly the final words that you gave were hugely inspirational. Until next time.